Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. We hope you are staying safe, sound, and sane as this year continues to drag on, and we do all that we have to do to get through this pandemic. Well, how about this? If you want to be on a Zoom call that isn't dreadfully boring, please join us for Zoomapalooza, an interactive adventure of fun, games, comedy, and who knows what else. Tickets are absolutely free, or hire us for your next office or corporate event. Just visit pod617.com slash Zoom. That's pod617.com slash Zoom. Now enjoy the following production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves, this is Dave, David Yaz proprietor of pod617.com and your host today on the Boston Podcast. If you dig this podcast, please share it with a friend. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. It is the show where we tell the stories of your city through the voices of your city. And I'm excited this morning because if nothing else, I get to talk about donuts and why you may ask. And the reason is because I have on the line one of the owners of Kane's Donuts. You know him if you're up on the North Shore. They're delicious. They're awesome. He's got a good story to tell. And welcome, Paul Delios. Oh, the the thank you. The applause. Thank is, you for having me on, David. My pleasure, Paul. The applause is thunderous. So I don't know if our audience even heard me introduce you. And it's <laughs> <laughs> it is Paul Delios. And uh, if you know Kane's Donuts up on North Shore, three locations up there. How is everything going, my friend? Everything's going very good, David. You know, we've we've weathered the COVID uh, as best as as best as we can. Mm-hmm. We've got a great uh, team with our staff, and everybody's kind of pitched in and and you know and picked up where we had a few uh, of the staff members that had to stay home because they had little kids and so forth. Sure, um, but we've been we've been doing okay. Uh, you know, our business primarily isn't like a sit-in business like a restaurant would be. Ours is more just you know, take out like mm-hmm. most bakeries, you come in, you grab something, and then you take it home and you enjoy it with the family. Um, and that's pretty much, uh, you know, the way we operate. And, and similar, say, to some of the uh, the big guys out there, you know, people stop in and grab a cup of coffee and they'll grab a donut or a sandwich because uh, we, we offer a, a full array of the breakfast sandwiches too. So, you know, they'll come in and they'll do a little of both and they'll grab that. And, and that's on the run as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen... Um, you know, the, the, the folks, uh, coming by stopping in the drive through at the route one location are there, you know, they're pre-ordering online, um, mm. and then just running in you know, 30 seconds. Let me grab my, my box and my bag and then run back out the door type of thing. So we haven't, uh, seen that same huge downturn in the, in the suburban locations, our Boston location initially in the beginning, uh, really took a real beating because mm. folks weren't going into work in right. Boston. For sure. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you can understand the, uh, the fair and, and, and also the fact that, uh, you know, there were certain rules and regulations put in place to stop any spread of this. So what we saw over there was that store kind of on the weekend, uh, because people that live in Boston would stay in Boston. So on the weekend, we saw that becoming like our suburban stores in Saugus. Mm. Um, it, and so 
the weekends started to come back to normal and really didn't skip a beat. But during the week, we saw that downturn that a lot of the other folks were seeing because people just weren't in the city yeah. at all. Yeah, and it, and, it makes uh, sense. You know, yeah. But we've weathered it. Yeah, it, you know, and, 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 and our suburban, thank God we have the three locations because we were able to take and, and, and kind of help with the downturn that the Boston location had. We were kind of able to, to stave off, you know, the, the, the bad thing about, you know, some people having to close. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to close that location. We wanted to keep that going, so we were able to prop it up a little bit. Yeah, and uh, that's how we see our way through it. Yeah, it was um, you know a sigh of relief, I think, amongst <clears throat> certain New Englanders when we found out that much of the state and the businesses in the state are shut down. However, we still got uh, our supermarkets, we still got our liquor stores, and we still got our donuts. So you know, we got. We got market basket, we got our packies, and we can still get our coffee and donuts, um, so, which is just, um, uh, and so I'm glad to hear that for the most part, you're, you're still kicking, which is great. Sadly, I, I'm, a, I'm a south of Boston guy. I live in Sharon. We have studios here in Westwood. But after, uh, I, I have a feeling by the end of this conversation, I'm, I'm going to be so uh, intrigued by the Cane's Donuts. By the way, a little bit later in the program, I'm, we're going to go through a little bit of the menu. And I know you can't taste some listeners, but we'll do our best to describe the, the various flavors because there's just quite an amazing lineup of, of Cane's Donuts. Before we get there, Paul, you and I had talked before we started recording about your sort of journey. You're, you're not just a donut guy, far from it. You're, you're a chef at, uh, is it Meze and Paolo in Charlestown, those restaurants? Well, you know, years ago, I decided as a, as a I had a catering business, and, and this was up in Lynn at the Gannon Golf Course, and um, I decided to, uh, you know, sell out to my partner, and I found a little location in Charlestown across the street from, from uh, what's known as Michoam Housing Projects. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing gentrification going on in some of the old townhouses. And I said, you know, this would be a nice spot to open up a little restaurant. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I opened up a little 48-seater. Everybody kind of thought I was crazy. I said, look, I said, this is a great spot. I can bring people that are not so affluent. They'll come in here and enjoy a taste of, of, of an upscale-style Italian restaurant with affordable prices. And then the people that are living down the Navy Yard that can well afford to come in are going to like it because it's going to be the quaint little Italian restaurant in Charlestown. Mm. And it worked. Nice. It worked. We were able to pull both sides together. And for me, the rewarding factor was people would be lined up three and a half hours out the door to eat the food. Wow. And it was crazy. The other rewarding part of this was people from the both socioeconomic backgrounds we're coming in and sitting down because we had a couple of community tables and breaking bread together. Nice. And that it was just like over the top. It was like, you know, like, you know, it was like having the best dessert in the world, seeing people come in and mixing it up. Mm-hmm. That, that brought community together for me. And that's, that's what, you know, our little local restaurants need to be. They need to be, you know, yeah. Great place for a chef to showcase his talents, but they also need to be a place where community can come together. And was the food served family style? Some. Some, some yeah. was. Okay. Uh, it, it depended on what you wanted. You could have came in and ordered like a family style menu, and we would we would have put that out for you, and there would have been big plates of food. Uh, there were also, there was wood-fired pizza. Mm. Uh, we had different entrees there. You could order little individual things for yourself. Um, and again, it was a small 48 seat restaurant. 
we did a tremendous amount of to-go business after after 9-11. Mm. Uh, huge amount of people, again, didn't want to come out of the house, so they stayed home. But they were coming down just to try to mix it up a little bit, like get a little conversation in with some of the neighbors, and then they'd grab their orders and they would go. Mm-hmm. So we did we did a lot of that. And then in 2003, uh, I was approached by a group to see if I'd be interested in opening up a uh, Greek restaurant. And I'm of Greek extraction, and, and, and uh, that's, you know, my heritage. And, and But I grew up in a predominantly Italian neighborhood. So I always had a love for both cuisines. Um, and I opened up the little Italian one first because I felt as though that would be an easier um, cuisine to break into the market, especially with the North End being right across the bridge from Charlestown. Right. So to go back, 2003, I get approached by uh, a, a small group, and they said, look, you're a Greek chef. Would you consider opening up a Greek restaurant? Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely, uh, if it's going to be of the same caliber of what you can find in New York City. Uh, you know, at that level, I said, I'm not interested in opening up a little Yiddo place. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, by all means, we'll, we'll, we'll build whatever you'd like. And they did. Mm-hmm. It was Mise Estiatorio, and it was across the street from the Old Olives right. uh, in Charlestown. Mm-hmm. And we were doing anywhere between seven and 900 covers a night. Mm-hmm. It was crazy busy to the point where I kept begging my partners to just slow it down and not book as many people coming in the door base because you're going to, you're going to, you're going to overbook this place too much. Um, and of course partners, you know, the investors, they, they want to see the place loaded and rather, and I'm a chef and I'm saying, I want to keep the level of service and quality dining up the way I know it should be, especially mm-hmm. when you have a high end restaurant. We were on the radar to be picked as the best restaurant in the Northeast by Epicurious. We were in just about every periodical uh, that you could find out there at the market at the time. Now you see a lot more stuff online, but back then there was still a lot of printed media. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we got a lot of rave reviews from, from everyone across the country. And it, it, it was great. Um, and to have two restaurants that were doing so well, and then I was asked to go down to Disney World, appear in Disney. Um, you know, I, I did a, a, an appearance at Marshall Fields out in Chicago where we did a round table uh, on, on today's modern Greek cuisine. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, if you go out to Chicago, there are more Greeks out there than, than I think we have in the, <laughs> really? in the, in the town of Saugus, you know, <laughs> population itself. Yep. So, um, you know, I was like, I was like, wait a minute. They want this guy from Boston to come on here and explain to them with all the Greeks living over here. It's got to be like one of the largest populations of Greeks outside of the, uh, of the country of Greece. Yeah. So anyhow, you know, I, I was going everywhere. I was cooking at different vineyards, uh, and, and down at Disney world mm-hmm. and then James Beard house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's like the ultimate for a chef to be able to go to the James Beard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I, I had a good run of it. The partners um, had one vision for the business to go in a certain direction. And myself as a chef, um, that wasn't, their vision wasn't the priority that I saw. It's more food driven in my mind uh, where things need to be, not, not seat driven. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and by that, they, they're looking for numbers and I'm looking for quality experience for the customer. The numbers will build. In my experience over the years, you'll build the numbers up. You'll also be able to derive the revenue you're looking for, but it takes a little bit of time. These things don't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. So we had, we had you know, a, a little difference of opinion there. And I said, look, 
you take it, run with it, do whatever you got to do. I'm happy. I'm going to take my leave of this. Mm-hmm. And I was at a kind of a crossroads. I had the opportunity came up in front of me to either go down to Atlanta or go to New York. I had different people approaching me and wanting to build a Greek restaurant, have me become the culinary director and executive chef and kind of tailor the food and wine program for them. And, uh, very lucrative in both, in both cases. But, uh, I went at the urging of my siblings to go have a, a little visit with mom and dad. Um, and I did, and both of them were older. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was, uh, failing, not quite, uh, as, as bad as I thought, but he still was mm-hmm. on, on a slow downhill slide. So I, I, I felt bad and they, they were like, look, why don't you just stay here and, you know, we'll make you the president of the donut shop and you just run everything and, you know, and it will be you and, and your four siblings. So kind of took them up on the offer. Um, and then I took a hard look at the way everything was running and I said, okay, we don't need a big counter in the old store. We need something that's going to facilitate selling donuts because the, the days of pe- people sitting down at a counter for a lengthy period of time are no more. They just don't do that. Yeah. They come in, they grab this, they jump in the car and they're off and running because they have to get to work. Mm-hmm. People are busy. They're rushed. You know, they're working, they're running, they're busy. Mm-hmm. So I just, a simple equation, Pythagoras is theorem of vital few versus trivial money. <laughs> and I always, I always look at the vital few, what's paying the bills. Right. It's the to-go donuts. Mm-hmm. So I rearranged everything in the shop, doubled the size of it. We bought the house next door. The, the, the five of us, uh, you know, uh, decided to go in, buy that house. Then I had uh, some drawings crafted with my vision of what I, I wanted to see, of, you know, being done. And mm-hmm. we executed that and we doubled the size of the, uh, the building and allowed for more queuing inside for the customers to be able to wait in line, grab their dozen of donuts, and then be on their way. This is the uh, Sa- so this is the Saugus location you're talking this about. This is the original, yeah. yeah, the original Lincoln Avenue location. Mm-hmm. We invested a significant amount of money again in a downturn economy. It was 2008 going, in, you know, that we started this at the end of 2008. Yeah. After the economy, a real bad hiccup, as you recall. Of course. And then we were doing more of the plans, and and there was had to shift plans around because the banking industry changed a little bit, and the, the finances of the business changed. So they were like, okay, you know, we got to maneuver a few things differently, but we got it done. Mm-hmm. The, the, the great thing was I had, I had a great partner with the bank. They worked with us. They got it done, even in a tough economy. And, uh, we got that store built up and running and it really took off. Mm-hmm. So shortly, shortly, uh, I'd say after that, um, it, we started, uh, started thinking about, okay, what's going to be our, our next goal here. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of the investors from my old restaurant, Mosaic came in to see me and they were like, Paul, would you be interested in, in growing this into a Boston location? And I said, we well, yeah, this is the financial district. So we set the plans in motion to open something up in Boston. And that store be- became quite popular. We had lines going, it's an international place, right? And international no, places, yeah. uh, yeah, at the corner of High Street and Oliver Street. Mm-hmm. We have lines going from the front door all the way into the intersection uh, when we first opened that up. It was mm-hmm. crazy. Busy. And that store, you know, it, like anything, it starts off with a boom, 
then it kind of wanes down and then you wait for that sweet spot to come back so that it'll, it'll tick up a little bit, but not as crazy as it was when you first opened. Uh, and that's, that's where that store was prior to this COVID thing going on. Mm-hmm. And during that time when we opened up that location, I had one of the residential neighbors, um, complaining about the fact that we were delivering donuts into Boston from, from the Lincoln Avenue store because it's more residential over there. Mm. So, you know, rather than fight with the neighbors in the town, we found a location on route one that was currently being built and it was going to be built as like a cafe setting. And the landlord, um, of that property, they approached us. It's where the old orange dinosaur was in that little miniature golf course. Sure. Um, it's Essex landing. Mm-hmm. They approached us and asked us if we'd be interested, given that we had these problems going on in, in relocating our kitchen out there. Mm-hmm. And after looking at it, I said, okay, this will be great because we can go right to Boston. We're not going to upset any neighbors. And so we moved our central kitchen right over to that location. And we took the old kitchen that we have on Lincoln Avenue and turned that into a gluten-free kitchen. Oh. So we, we make 12 different kinds. I, it took me like five years to develop a gluten-free recipe, <laughs> but we have it. Yep. And I make 12 different kinds of donuts over in that location. Mm-hmm. And on route one, we make all the donuts for the company over there in that location. And we send a truck sometimes several times a day into the Boston store when, it, when it's busy. And, you know, right now it's like once a day, but we send the truck in there. And then on Lincoln Avenue, the same thing. We send donuts down to uh, the Lincoln Avenue store. And what we do is we pick up the gluten-free donuts and distribute those to each of the locations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, it's been working really well for us. The customers have been in, enjoying everything that, that we produce. Yeah. So that's pretty much a little synopsis about the story so far. Sure. Sure. Um, do you have any questions? Yeah. First, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I hope so. I'm the, I'm the podcaster here. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. But that, but I appreciate that though. Cause it is quite a journey for you. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that I'm jealous because <clears throat> you, uh, being of Greek heritage and being raised in an Italian neighborhood, you've got, and th- those, those two cultures are known for many things, but maybe one thing they have in common is a lot of, uh, big, bold personality and wonderful food. I'm half Irish and half Jewish. We're known for bad food and guilt. Those two things. So I, I got the short end of the straw there. This is, this is, this will be a random question, but. We've seen, of course, there were trends in in the, um, I remember in the late 90s, the family style Italian restaurants were booming and, you know, there were chains um, and I'm forgetting the names of some of these chains, but they tried to really get in on it. That fad, I mean, it hasn't completely gone away. There's always going to be great Italian uh, family style Italian places, but. And then, you know, we see, you know, now there are, there's Chipotle and, and places like that that try to take advantage of the people love quick Mexican food. I'm just wondering, it, I, I thought I heard whisper of this, that there were certain companies trying to get into, you know, franchising a, a good Greek place. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. I love Greek food and uh, a lot of it can be, you know, well, to me, to so the outsider, it's the, the type of thing, you know, I go to the feisty Greek in Norwood and. They're, they're always running a brisk business. I wonder whether that could be franchised. I know it's a random question, but what do you think about that, Paul? I think anything can be franchised. It's a question of can it be franchised with quality right. and integrity. Mm-hmm. 
I think I think there's an opportunity to do anything in a franchise method, um, and I think the parent company has to has to have those things in mind. Number one, it's got to be customer quality, customer ori- uh, you know oriented. It's and it's got to be you know it's it's got to be quality across the board if you want this thing to succeed. Mm-hmm. And and you know you've got to make sure that that you've got controls in place so that a a franchisee um, doesn't deviate from the way the franchisor mm-hmm. wants the business to be run because there are so many times when somebody might turn around and put a different different sprinkle in the mix mm-hmm. that uh, might not go the same way with the rest of the company. And so you need to have tight controls that way. You need to have tight controls on the way the food is being processed and handled so that you don't uh, end up with any kind of an outbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, do I think that a Greek, uh, it's, it's definitely possible to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, like I said, any business I think can be franchised. Right. Um, so let's talk about Cane's Donuts. And by the way, more info at canesdonuts.com. Very simple to remember, canesdonuts.com. And as Paul mentioned, takeout orders, you can order online, which is great, and go pick up your donuts or whatever it is that you're ordering. Um, 30 different, by my count here on your website, <clears throat> pardon me, 30 different kinds of donuts from the classics, you know, you got honey dip, you got Boston cream, which is typically my favorite, but then we're talking like maple bacon. We're talking, uh, devil's food, chocolate, pumpkin spice, and just the, it's kind of like all the colors of the rainbow. Here. <laughs> um, what's your favorite, Paul? Let me start with that. What's your favorite on your menu? Oh, I, I'm I'm not going to be as exotic as you might think. I, yeah. I'm a plain donut guy. Really? I really, uh, yeah. Listen, I you know, I grew up eating plain donuts. I enjoy plain donuts, um, and 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 I have a half of a plain donut every day. <laughs> I mean, every day I have that first thing in the morning. I love it. Now, uh, it's not to say that I don't enjoy the other children that we have in the family (laughs) because as a parent is we we love all our children (laughs) but the plain donut was the first thing that i ate growing up as a kid and that's what i always gravitate to i enjoy a honey dip and i enjoy the old black raspberry jam donut that we have too oh okay Uh, and and so i love all of those some of the newer flavors that we've come up with be it the turtle donut that's got the you know it's got a Chocolate cake style donut with dosi de leche mm-hmm. frosting on top, which is which is just it's luscious in its own. And then we hit it with a little bit of Heath Crunch mm. and a drizzle of dark chocolate on top of that. So I enjoy those. I enjoy a simple, you know, uh, butter crunch donut or a coconut donut. They're all good to me, mm. but the one I always gravitate to is a plain donut. You well, you never forget your first love, right, Paul? I mean. That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, my my dad. In so many ways, <laughs> <laughs> right? In more ways than one. Donuts and everything else. That's, yeah. See, all of all of life's great secrets can be solved in in donuts. So my yeah, my dad used to take me as a kid, and I remember it was a treat when we were allowed to get two. And I always went honey dip, which was my sort of traditional way, and then Boston cream was my like super treat. Um, but I I uh, I swear I'm just minutes away from hopping in the car, getting on 128 and going up to Cane's because I got to sample some of these. Did, t- tell me about the creation 
process? Do, do, are, were there or are there still actual sort of meetings where you're kicking around with experimenting with different flavors? I did it just before you and I got on really? the phone. Really, really. The donut uh, coming up in the very near future is going to be the apple cheesecake oh. donut. Oh, I'm a sucker for that. So it will... It has got um, bits of apple. Mm-hmm. It's got cream cheese, mm-hmm. sugar, all mixed in together, just like you'd make a cheesecake. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be the apple cheesecake donut. That's that's what I meant. Love to say. it. It'll be it'll be um, a cheesecake filling, and then we fold apples into it, diced up apples. Now, when you bite into it, it's going to taste like you have. A cheesecake with apple fruit on top. Mm. Yeah. You know, when you get something that's got pineapple or cherry fruit on it and a cheesecake, this will taste like that, but it's got apple and cinnamon in with the cheesecake. Oh, just the outside is going to be the outside is just going to be rolled into a simple cinnamon sugar. Just take my money now. Real, take real it. Simple. <laughs> I'm telling you, and this thing is <laughs> like delicious. Yeah. So that's that's one that's coming up for this month. We're also going to be bringing on our apple cider gluten-free donut. That's going to be showing up mm-hmm. on the menu. Mm-hmm. And that's that's another real winner. And we're going to be just bringing back, because it's the fall, we're heading into the fall, mm-hmm. we'll be bringing back an, an old classic for us, which is the, the apple cider, the regular uh, style with the gluten in it. Uh, so sure. we'll have a gluten-free version for our gluten-free customers, and we'll have the the traditional apple cider donut uh, for, for, for the regular customers, as well as the apple cheesecake donut. And we're going to be bringing back something for the kids. And we don't always subscribe to uh, being nut-free. Mm-hmm. So if you have a nut allergy, Cane's is not the place for you. Okay. Because we'll be doing... We will be doing our peanut butter and jelly donuts. Oh, <laughs> man! And that's that is, that's yeah. got look. It's filled with black raspberry jam, and then it's got a good, heavy smear of Teddy peanut butter on top. Oh yes! Come on! Wow! That's I, I'm just gonna skip <laughs> skip lunch and go right. I mean, there's protein in the in the peanut butter, <laughs> so that's lunch for me right there. <laughs> um, let, let me let me ask you. We I haven't mentioned the the 800 pound gorilla that is Dunkin' Donuts, and so I, I'm just I'm just curious. Obviously, they're they're everywhere. You guys thrive despite the presence of this. And I'm not blowing smoke when I say, given the choice, I'd much rather go into a Cane's or a place like Cane's that is a, a local place. Because just, just by looking at your website and looking at just the appearance of these donuts, you, to me anyway, you can tell that they are, they're homemade. And when you go to Dunkey, there's nothing wrong with Dunkey's. I should have stock in the place. I've spent so much money there. But um, you know the donuts are, they seemingly are made by a machine. How much do you need to pay attention to what Dunkin' Donuts does in terms of competition? I don't. Okay. Not at all. Mm-hmm. Um. And I know a lot of the guys from Duncan's, mm-hmm. um, a lot of them good, hardworking, uh, you know, uh, business owners, you know, franchisees. Right. Um, the, the thing is we are two different businesses. That's why they've even dropped Duncan. Uh, I mean, donuts from the, uh, from the Duncan name. I know. It's, it's, yeah. So, because, you know, it takes an awful lot of energy mm-hmm. to make the type of donut that we do. Right. 
you know, again, we use fresh local ingredients. The honey is sourced locally. It comes from Peabody. Mm. The dairy comes from Peabody as well. The eggs that we use, they're coming organic eggs out of Maine. Uh, the, the, the flour is milked for, for us locally. Even the boxes that we use uh, are made for us uh, at the old Prince Spaghetti Box Company up in Lowell. Mm. So there's, there is so much that goes into making and doing what we do. And the other side of the coin is, uh, you know, to make these things by hand the way we do it. And we, we've semi-automated a couple of things in, in there because just to save everybody's shoulders from getting bursitis, um, you know, <laughs> you, you need to have some, some heavy. Well, when you're working with that pizza, uh, pizza dough or, or donut dough, it's thick, it's dense. So you need some machinery to kind of help you out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's of the same kind of density. That's why I compare pizza because a lot of people will know that. Yeah. Um, so it's like a similar density. So in order to save the guy's shoulders, we, we've incorporated a couple of things that make it a little bit automatic with a few of the things. Um, you know, and you need that for the yeast-style donuts. But the plain donuts, everything is still chopped by hand. They're finished by hand. The chocolate donuts, the same thing. And even the main blueberry that we make, um, you know, which have, bits of uh, dehydrated main blueberries folded into it, mm. all of that stuff. Um, we just, we try to source everything as locally as we possibly can. And if there's something that we can't get locally, we will import the best ingredient that, that, that we can as well. Mm. Like even for example, we make chocolate frosting and our chocolate frosting incorporates a little bit of Swiss chocolate and a little bit of the Tassa chocolate that's made in some of them. So we, we try to, to always encompass and use local whenever possible. I don't think you can do that on a grand scale with a company that's probably got like 10,000 stores, which I don't know how many Duncan has, but I know they have a significant amount. Sure. And it would be difficult for them to copy what we're doing. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it would be impossible, but, but it would be difficult. And, you know, I'm happy they stay in the niche that they're in, and, and we're happy we stay in the niche that we are. We're not trying to be the next coffee company. Let them compete with Starbucks and right. McDonald's and everybody else. We like making donuts. We make a, a decent little living for us and the 70-something employees that we have working in the company. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and we charge more, mm-hmm. but we give you a six-pound dozen. If you go to Duncan's, you're getting a dozen that maybe weighs a pound and a quarter, pound and a half. So mm-hmm. our donuts weigh about three to four times of what Duncan's was, is, is weighing. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's a totally different animal. You come into our store, you see 30 different varieties. I'm not sure what they've done, but I think they've kind of scaled them down quite a bit so that they yep. don't have as many choices. Yep. Not, well, yeah, and, not only that, and, but they don't they don't always have everything available. I feel like it's a crapshoot when you go in there as to what you're going to get. Yeah, but, and, but, look, at 80% of their sales is, is beverages. Coffee, yeah, for sure. I know this. This I know. Yep. And conversely, it's like 80% of our sales is donuts. Right. So we don't compete. This is why I tell people we, they, they're no competition for us, and we're no competition for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, and I know a, just a little bit about franchising and how there there are just meticulous steps taken such that each franchisee is using the exact same procedure. If you saw the movie The Founder about the McDonald's uh, business and how that started up, it, it is a very interesting discipline, 
But as such, there, there's nothing homey about it. There's nothing homemade. That, that there's no feeling. And the people are hooked on Dunkin's coffee. But my goodness, the, 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 you would never mistake them for a bakery. And, you know, you, you guys bake your donuts. Also, um, I don't know if this remains during the pandemic, but the hours are much different. I mean, you, you, you've at least on your, uh, let's see, I know on your Lincoln Avenue in, in Saugus um, location, you're open late. And which is, I, I, historically, I imagine, just terrific because, I mean, what's more fun than, you know, after a night out, let's let's stop by and get some donuts. Well, you know, originally uh, we were opened early in the morning for all the lobster fishermen mm-hmm. that were getting up, were going out, working hard out in the ocean, you know, harvesting everything from the sea that they could. And, you know, not just lobster fishermen, but some of the other the other deep sea fishermen that were going out. Saugus at one point... Um, that Saugus River was like a natural inlet and a, a very protective uh, for storms because the Saugus River kind of winds around and it's deep and the guys were able to bring the boats in and they would kind of be able to keep the boats safe during like hurricane weather and things like that. And we still get a fair amount of rough seas that blow up from from the Florida coastline and the Carolinas as well. Um, so... By the way, you know, I, 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 I misspoke, by the way. I, I shouldn't have said late at night. What I should have said was we early morning hours. And at well, least historically, well, you're, yeah, you're open as early as 5 in some of your locations, right? Yeah. Well, we were, we were open at 3.30 in the morning oh. catered to the, the early fishermen, mm-hmm. the newspaper guys, fruit delivery men, all of those kind of people doing produce work and, and whatnot. So we were open early to cater to them. When COVID came around, mm-hmm. I started really looking hard, long, and fast at what kind of business we're doing now because people aren't going out and doing the fishing the way they used to do. Right. Uh, then the newspapers aren't the same popularity as they were years ago. Mm. So you know, who's coming in and what time are they really coming in? And, yeah, we were getting a fair amount of kids after the uh, nightclubs would shut down, or the, or the bars, rather. The mm-hmm. nightclubs. I don't think they have any of those anymore. <laughs> right. But after the bar, after the bars would shut down, um, they would come in and and you know usually on Friday or Saturday nights. So it really was kind of an easy decision to make to not open early in the morning because it wasn't like a ton of business that was out there coming in at three thirty a.m. Mm-hmm. We looked at what time should should we open up. We thought about five o'clock and then we looked at it again and we said you know. 6 a.m., and then we're not going to stay open late in the afternoon. We're going to close it at 2.30 in the afternoon. And that was Lincoln Ave, the original store. Mm -hmm. So we drastically reduced the hours on both ends of that, and we kept the sweet spot for us. And those are the eight hours that were opened up during the course of the day. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of factors as well that, you know, a lot of the staff, um, wanted to leave during the COVID. Mm-hmm. So we asked who wanted to and who didn't. As it just turned out, we kind of reworked everybody and we had enough people to be able to run one full shift, which was the eight-hour shift. And that's what we, we've, we've stayed with. And, you know, hopefully, you know, as this thing wanes down and people want to return, we'll be able to uh, go back to doing some of the older hours. Right. On Route 1, Mm-hmm. On Route 1, we still kept with that 5 a.m. opening that we had at Route 1, but we went from um, a 5 o'clock close to a 3.30 in the afternoon close. 
Mm-hmm. And our Boston store, we saw that we weren't getting people in between six and seven. So we opted to reduce the hours from seven to two thirty. this way staff could come in and set up a half an hour early and close down and clean up a half an hour later over there as well. So, um, we went from being two shifts over there to one, one shift every day, right. same as we did on Lincoln. Inn. So, you know, these were certain decisions that we had to make in order to survive. And they were just quick, fast decisions, um, that I had to make. It was just, this was all dropped in everybody's lap in the, in the, you know, around the world. And, mm. and it was a question of not just in the food business, but every business, how do you react to this? Mm. And I just did it the best way I knew how. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it, it is, it's, it sounds a little cliched, but we do really do need donuts more than ever right now. And it's, it's people are, people are, are looking for ways to, you know, lift their spirits and mix up their day. And it's nice to know you can still go to a bakery like Cane's and, you know, surprise someone with a dozen donuts of all the various flavors and all that. It's just, it'll, it'll be, I mean, if, if you don't like, donuts then i have no use for you people i don't know who you strange people are and you know maybe it's only once in a while for a treat but still awesome so we're up against the clock a little bit here but paul delios thanks so much for joining i hope you had fun it's canesdonuts.com is the website locations in sagas on lincoln ave and on route one and there's the canes downtown anything else we should know i guess you've already told us you about should the- know go ahead go ahead well- you should know one other thing. Yep. I wrote a cookbook a couple of years ago, oh. available on Amazon, nice. and it's called At the Greek Table. Nice. At the Greek Table, right? At the Greek Table. It's got all the recipes that I was doing at uh, Mese. And so if uh, your audience out there wants to uh, try their hand at making some great Greek food, and I've simplified a lot of the recipes to make it easy for the, the home cook, right? Uh, please look it up. Try it out. I'm sure you'll you'll read a few stories in there. There's a few little uh, vignettes about different things over the years. So please, I love easy it. reading, easy cooking. And now's a great time. I mean, heck, why not? Why not yeah. learn a couple new Greek dishes? So go to Amazon and yeah. check that out at the Greek table. I'm going to do it myself, Paul. Awesome, awesome. Alrighty. Thanks Take so care. much. Great talking to you. Same. You're the best, Paul. I appreciate it. Cane's Donuts. I might be on my way right now. I'll let you know, guys. And then perhaps I'll get a dozen donuts, and then I'll have Paul back on the program and just tell him what I think while I stuff my face. That sounds like fun. Anyway, <laughs> all right, Thanks, Paul. Dave. Thanks for being a good sport. Thank you, listeners, all for right. listening, Thank too. All righty, man. The Boston Podcast is the name of the show. Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. If you'd like your own podcast, pod617.com is where you go. And on behalf of the great Paul Delios and everyone at Cane's Donuts, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston, but if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.